0: Hi, I'm Dr. Andreas Michaelitis, Chief Psychologist at Noom. But what's Noom and why does Noom need a Chief Psychologist? Noom is a weight loss program that works, with results that last, because we know that changing the way you eat starts with your mind. With Noom's proven psychology-backed tools, one-on-one coaching, and flexible plans that emphasize progress over perfection, you'll have the tools you need to change your relationship with food. So sign up at Noom.com now and lose the weight for good. That's N-O-O-M.com. All right. Are you sold out? I just want to say one thing to you this morning, okay? Please don't get upset with me when I say this, but it's true, all right? You just need to get over yourself. I'm serious. You need to get over yourself. You are your own worst enemy. Come on. Look at your neighbor and say, you are your own worst enemy. All right. Okay. The title of my message this morning is Get Over Yourself. All right, so I'm just messing with you. But get over yourself, seriously. God wants you to move out of the way so that he can have his way. Amen? If we, I said last week, if we are going to pray that prayer that says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then before his kingdom can come, our kingdom must go. And uh, it's it's imperative. That's what discipleship is all about. We are stewards. We we don't own anything. It all belongs to God. So some people say, "Well, God wants me to give ten percent." No, 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 no. God asks you, and you get to. But and and even beyond that. But it all belongs to Him. Jesus looked at the rich young ruler and said, "Hey, everything you have, go and sell it and give it to God." Right. So hey, that was the this is the low water mark, 10%. You know, we if we we look at it and we have problems with that, I think the real core issue here is we don't understand stewardship. We don't understand that we don't own anything. It's all his. Even that next breath that we take, Psalm 104 29 says, is a gift from God. The next breath. Wow, he gives us the next breath that we take. It's amazing. And as we trust him, he said, I will make sure you have all that you need and more. Trust me. Obey me. You know, the thing in Scripture, it talks about obedience. Obedience. Obeying God. James said, you can hear a message, but if you don't obey it, he said that you're not going to be blessed. Hearers are deceived if they don't obey the truth of the gospel. But as we obey then we're blessed is what the New Testament teaches so clearly. Hallelujah. Well, we are in a series that we're going through a series. We're teaching on a series that's called Sold Out, S-O-U-L apostrophe D. There's a play on words there. We're talking about our soul. How many know that the Bible says that it's the will of God, our loving Father, that his children walk in complete wholeness? We read in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I love verse 24. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. So God who's calling you, God who's saying to you and to me, hey, your whole spirit, soul, and body needs to be sanctified He is faithful to make sure that that actually becomes a reality in our lives. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. And look at this. It says the God of peace, and peace is a covenant term, you know, and of course in the Old Testament, shalom, it means that nothing is missing. Peace, completion, uh, fulfillment, wholeness, nothing is broken, but everything is functioning in our lives as God intended it to. So this God of peace is the covenant-keeping God who will make sure that our entire spirit, our soul, and our body is sanctified. Now, the word sanctified, is an, in, an interesting term. It comes from a Greek word which actually has two parts to it. The main part means of the earth or of, of the dirt, and it means soil or dirt. It's the word ghee. But then there's an antecedent, and that antecedent negates hagias. And it means not of the earth, not of the dirt, not of the soil. I know if you look it up in most... Um, you know, Bible tools, it'll say the word means to be set apart. But that's a basic level meaning. The, the level, the depth of the meaning is that as God's people, we're not to be of the earth. We're not to be of the dirt. We're not to be of the soil. We are to be heavenly minded. We're to set our affections on things above. We are raised and seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The Bible says, put to death the deeds of the flesh here on the earth, and walk in the spirit. And we're to pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done here on the earth as it is in where? Heaven. So God has called us to live in the realm of the kingdom. We call it the heavenly realm, the spiritual realm. This is how we are to live as his people. So we really need to examine ourselves. You know, the Bible tells us in several places, examine yourself, take a look at yourself, take stock, do an inventory of yourself. How are you doing? How are you living? Uh, What's going on in your life? And I want to just mention there's at least three different ways here we need to examine ourselves. Are we spiritually minded, not carnal? Are we spiritually minded or are we still carnal? Do we possess the mind of Christ? Do we think like him? Do we love what the Father loves? Are our affections intertwined with his heart? Mm. Do we earnestly desire and wholeheartedly submit to his will? above everything else. Wow. That's something, guys, that we need to really take seriously. You know, God has called us to live for him. We, everything belongs to him. We belong to him. What, I, what we think should glorify him. What we do should glorify him. The emotion, Our emotions should glorify him. So God wants to sanctify our soul our mind, our will, our affections, our emotions, so that it's pure, so that we are heavenly, that we are, if we're gonna please Him, our soul has to be synced with heaven. God wants us to walk in that place. And you know, last week I made a statement, I said, In the book of James, the truth is we read what the, what the true root of all evil is. And, and I, I propose to you that when the Bible says in 1st Timothy chapter 6 that the love of money is the root of all evil, that it can also be translated that the love of money is a root of evil. So it's not just that loving money, even though it certainly is a root of evil, is the root. You know, but I really believe that there's something that is even deeper than that. Why do people love money? Right. Well, the answer is found in the book of James. Let's pick it up, start reading here at verse number 14 through 16 in the New Living. If you are bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly. On spiritual and, whoa, look at this, demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Note verse 16 again. For wherever there is jealousy or envy and selfish ambition, there you will find what? Disorder, confusion, things in disarray and what else evil of what every kind love of money is an evil and you see that so the root of all evil is selfish ambition selfish ambition envy all of this is rooted clearly in an egocentric life I live for myself I want what I want when I want it have you ever met people about that a friend of mine in Canada I was talking with him yesterday and uh, he just told me that he had—he was privileged to meet one of the most well-known preachers in the world today. He's got a, a television ministry all over the world, and some people probably don't like him. Uh, but as Christians, we got to love one another. You know that, right? So just get over yourself again, all right? Part two. Here we go. But the truth is he met with this man, and, and many people criticize him. But you know what? He has the biggest church in America And you may not like him. You might think he's more of a motivational speaker at times and maybe what what he should be preaching more on the cross or whatever. And and I would probably tend to agree with that. But the truth is, as he sat down with this man, how many know who I'm talking about right now? Joel Osteen. That he sat down with Joel, and he found that Joel Osteen is one of the most humble men he's ever met. As he sat with Joel, Joel did not want to talk about himself. Joel genuinely wanted to talk about, my friend, how are you? What's going on in your life? Tell me about you. And he wanted to talk, Pastor Joel, tell me about, you know, you've got forty or 50,000 people in your church and, and, you know, and all that you do. And he said, oh, no, that's okay. We don't need to talk about me. Let's talk about Jesus and let's talk about what Jesus is doing in your life. And I really like to hear that kind of stuff. When I say people that love others, it's not about us. It's about loving one another. It's about caring for one another. And if we have selfish ambition in our life, you know, the Bible says, Where self-will, self-seeking, self-promotion, self-aggrandizement, self-obsession, any kind of self-centeredness exists, there will be chaos, disorder, and a myriad of evil behavior following. Wow. The Bible, you know, is very strong on this whole thing of selfish ambition. In fact, self-willed people are compared to idolaters in the Bible idolaters. Look at First Samuel 15, 22 and 23. The background is God spoke through his prophet Samuel to King Saul. King Saul, when you go into the city, when you fight against this king, and he said, I want you to do what I tell you to do. I want you to destroy all. I don't want you to keep anything. I don't want you to preserve anything. And you know the story. Saul thought that he knew better than God. And hey, why not keep some of the, the sheep? Why not keep some of the oxen? Because we can use it. You know, we can use it for God's purposes. But the point is, God told him expressly, don't do that. Follow my commandments. I want you to utterly destroy everything. And so even though Saul might have meant well and had a good intention, he was disobedient to God. And what did God say about that? Well, we read here very clearly. Has the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Now look at verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he's rejected you from being king. Wow! Hey, I'm 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 doing what God wants me to do. I'm I'm you know what? And who was he kidding? Who was he kidding? He was rationalizing his disobedience. And how many know that partial obedience is still disobedience? And as a result of his incomplete obedience, he lost the kingdom at this point. He lost it. Why? Because God said, you don't honor me. God said, you've rejected my words. It literally means you've despised my words. You've despised my commandments. Do you understand that when God tells us in his word to do something and we don't do it, we are despising his commandments. You can try to rationalize that. You can try to water that down. You can try to dilute it in any way you want. But the truth is... We are rejecting the word of the Lord. Why? Because we are interpreting what God says in his word in a way, we are misinterpreting it, in a way to please self, to put self first. Ah, yeah, well, God didn't really mean that or, you know, or and we come up with all of these things. Now, let's look at two key words in this passage. He says, that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Do you ever think about that? Why is rebellion like the sin of witchcraft? The word rebellion means to be contentious, be disobedient towards, be rebellious against. One time in the Bible, in the in the Old Testament, this word rebellion speaks of being angry and bitter at God because you Or me, or I, we are, we are, uh, we don't think God is, is being fair with us. We, we, we think God is expecting, demanding too much of us. And so we're complaining and we're saying, it's not fair, you're, you're harsh, you demand too much of me. And we're rationalizing our disobedience and our lack of complete surrender and in every way in our lives. And, and God says, that's rebellion. Have you ever said? Hey, God, man, you're not being fair. You're not treating me the way you should treat me. Like, do we really think that? Seriously? The Bible says God is perfect. God is love. He's good. And then we accuse him of having a malicious intent. We accuse him of being manipulative and self-serving. No. The truth is, God calls us to a place of complete obedience. And if we don't, it's rebellion. He says stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Idolatry. It's the Hebrew teraphim. And teraphim literally was a An idol that they would create, they created, they made, and they would put it like on a, a mantelpiece or something in their home, and it was supposed to fend off evil spirits and bring them good luck, and, and in a sense, it was a counterfeit for the blessing of God. And so he's saying, your, your stubbornness is like that. You know, you, what are we doing? We're replacing the promise of God that he will protect and bless and honor us, we think by holding on to something, we think by doing things our way that things will go better for us because we really can do, you know, we can really do better. We can really, um, you know, make sure that things work out better for ourselves than God can. I know God said this, but I just need to do this. I just need to do this. Because you know what? I got to look out for myself. I got to look out for my family. I got to. And God says that's stubbornness. It's idolatry. Why? Wow. Because in the Lord's evaluation, when selfish ambition is driving our lives, it's equivalent to engaging in idol worship. Why? Because. Men elevate their desires and plans above God's, and there's no greater example of arrogance is when a man or a woman, a mere creature, asserts his or her will against the will of the creator. In Romans chapter 2, Paul talks about people that are idol worshippers. Romans chapter 1, sorry. And he summarizes what idolatry is by making this statement. They worship the creature rather than the creator who is blessed over all. They worship the creature, what has been created, and not the one who created it. And he said, that's idolatry. When we worship creature, what God created, think about that. Don't we do that? We worship people. We put people ahead of God. We put our jobs ahead of God. We put our desires ahead of God. We put our money ahead of God. We, we put our pleasure ahead of God. All of these different things. And what are we doing? We're worshiping the creature, what God created, rather than the creator. And it's idolatry. It's idolatry. King Saul was rejected by the Lord and ousted from the kingdom because of exerting his will over God's. I know that's strong. So this morning, if you can't say amen, say ouch. Will you? And get over yourself because you need to get over yourself. I need to get over myself because God wants to bless us. And he's looking for those who are completely yielded and surrendered to his will. Why are you holding on? Why won't you let go of everything? Why won't you say, God, Jesus, take the wheel, you know? <laughs> let Jesus take charge, take control. I give you everything. I, I give it up. And, and Lord, I want you to have your way in my life. How serious is self-will? Well, let's look at Romans chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Romans 2, 8 and 9. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. What? Self-seeking people do not obey the truth, but they do obey something. What do they obey? Unrighteousness. What's going to happen? Indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. Wow. Terrible. Hey, guys, it's very clear. You cannot truly be a Christian if self is on the throne. You cannot be secure in your salvation if you're not living completely for Jesus. Don't be deceived. I can show you Scripture after Scripture. Read Ephesians chapter 5. Jesus says... You can't be self-seeking. I know we, we do selfish things. I get that. And I'm not trying to make an excuse for this now because, because uh, you know what? The fact is God has called us. You know, he is faithful. The one who said it, he'll do it. He'll make sure it happens. But we cannot be as people justifying our lifestyles. Yeah, we do something selfish from time to time. Absolutely. But what do we do? We repent. We repent. Godly sorrow, oh, why did I do that? There's this godly sorrow in my life that leads to repentance, Second Corinthians 7.10. Worldly sorrow is just has a form of regret that, you know, oh, wow, you know what? Maybe someone challenged me. Maybe someone corrected me. Maybe I got caught doing what I shouldn't have done, and I feel bad for the fact that I got caught. But that's just worldly sorrow. But the sorrow that God requires of us, is—it it is a sorrow that leads to repentance, a sorrow that changes us, the way we think, a sorrow that causes us to live differently and not stay in a state of selfishness, of selfish ambition. Jesus, I live for you. You're the reason, right? Jesus is our example. He's the one. Who, who modeled what it means to live for the will of the Father. Second Peter 2, verse 10, false teachers are identified as presumptuous, self-willed. They're presumptuous, he says, and they're self-willed. Some in ministry use the gospel for financial gain, for self-promotion. You know, they're building their kingdom, not God's kingdom. They're building their empire, not God's kingdom. And Paul addressed that in his day in the book of Philippians chapter 1 verse 17. When he was in prison, he said, there's others who do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely. It's about them. It's about what they want. It's about what they desire. It's not about Jesus. It's not about his kingdom. The glory isn't going ho- wholly to him, solely to him. And it's a terrible thing. Many people use positions, platforms, and even people for personal promotion, personal prosperity, and so on. You know, there are people that are only interested in you for the purpose of promoting themselves. In other words, they see you as a means to an end. Will you come and serve at our church? Will you come and be part of our church? And it's not about people, but it's about using people to promote what they want, what they're trying to build. But the fact is, the purpose of ministry is people. It's, people serve in ministry, yes, but ultimately the purpose of ministry is to serve people. And so what happens is, you know, they, they, they have this interest in, in you and me for the purpose of promoting themselves, and And if the day ever comes and they don't see you as essential in facilitating their agenda, they'll have little or nothing to do with you. Some people even throw you under the bus. Oh, you're of no use anymore. You, you disagree with me. You, you're not doing what I'm asking you to do, and, and so on. And so what happens is so many people in churches have been hurt, have been wounded, disappointed, because people that don't have hearts, shepherds even, they don't have hearts like God. Jeremiah 3, he said, Israel, if you turn to me, I'm paraphrasing with all your heart, Judah, if you turn to me, and you honor me, and you put me first, I'll give you shepherds after my own heart. I'll give you shepherds after my own heart. That's what God promises. You know, there are people that are still messed up because of people that have used and abused them. Still in pain. Still hurting. Still struggling with, with woundedness and And the memories and perhaps even unforgiveness and bitterness. And I want to tell you, that's a terrible thing to go through. We all make mistakes. We all do things from time to time that maybe hurt or offend people. But if it's a lifestyle, because we can see so clearly that the person really doesn't have interest in others, their life is driven by selfish ambition. That's a scary place to be. That's a terrifying place to be. I wouldn't want to stand before the Lord in judgment day saying, Lord, I did this, I did that. And God says, Yeah, but it wasn't about me, it was about you. You did what you wanted to do when you wanted to do it. And there are many times I wanted you to do things and you wouldn't listen. You wouldn't do it my way. Titus 1.7 says, A bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed. Not self-willed. 1 Corinthians 6.19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Progressive presents forest Metaphors. About bundling your home and auto. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Many times, I believe, not only is it an overtly evil thing to live selfishly, but I believe, in, in a sense, we, we miss out on so much what that God wants to do because we have our own expectations in life, right? Like, hey, this is what I'm believing God to do and we we have our, our, our bullet points, we have things set up, you know, all, and we've got these boxes that we want checked and ticked, and then we, we realize that, you know what, why is this not happening? Why isn't God doing things my way? And And then we get angry at God. Like, why aren't you listening to me, God? Where are you? Don't you care for me? And God's like, how about we do things my way? Because my way results in blessing. And if you would put me first, if you would desire to do my will, I'll take care of you. I'll answer your prayers. I'll make sure that everything works out. But what is motivating what we do? What motivates what we do? What motivates being in ministry? What motivates when we serve? You know, there are people that need to be on the platform. They need to be on the worship team. They need to, to preach. They need to be in ministry because their identity is tied to ministry and not to intimacy with the Father. And so their self-worth is... is uh, boosted in a sense, when they stand on a platform, when they, when they receive accolades and praise. And he says so clearly here in James, when you live in such a way, in such a way, he says, that what ends up happening is you're bitterly jealous, there's selfish ambition in your heart. And he says, don't cover it up with boasting and lying. You know, the Bible says, let another man praise you and not you yourself. I love Jesus, right? And and I see this, and we gotta, it's so subtle and we gotta be so careful. You know, well, hey, you know what God did to, I went and preached in Africa and, and all these things happened, and look how God used me, and look at what happened. And I know there's there's a fine line before recognizing and giving glory to God and having impure motives and selfish ambition. I don't want that. I want to be so broken. I want God to receive all the glory. There's times when recently I think I told this story. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine and, the United States and he told me he's just going into minister in these different churches and he said yeah I'm gonna go and minister in this church and that church and this church and the three people that he named he even made a statement like at least for one or two a couple of them like do you even know these guys do you know them Glenn and you know what I'm the one who introduced him to these people <laughs> and he's like preaching in their churches because of me because I made the connection I mean, and, and he's like, "Hey, do you even know these guys, Glenn? You don't?" Know. And oh yeah. And, and I'm, "What did I do?" I sent him a message back. "Of course I know them. I introduce you to them." And as soon as I did that on my spirit, the Holy Spirit was like, "Why did you do that?" Why, you were promoting yourself. You didn't need to defend yourself. You, 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 you should have just said, "Yes, I know them, John. I know them, John. That's all you should have said. Because God showed me that my motive was impure. I was wanting him to say, thank you so much, Glenn, for making these connections for me, connecting me with these amazing people. You you don't appreciate all that I did for you. Amen. So subtle at times. If we're not careful, oh, so what happens is we recognize that we're bought at a price. And if we don't realize, if we're not living for the will of God, if there's something in us that has, you know, we have our presuppositions, we have our, um, you know, expectations, this is the way things should go. And then what happens? We miss out on the blessing of God like Israel in the days of Christ. At the end, when he's about to go to the cross, he's he's standing on the brow of of the city, and he's overlooking Jerusalem, and he begins to weep and cry, and he, he says, you have missed the hour of your visitation. Why? Because they expected the gift to come wrapped a different way than it was. They expected the king of the Jews was going to come and overthrow the Romans and establish the throne of David once again. They did not expect the king would go to the cross. And they had their own agenda. They had their own sense of this is the way it has to go. Have you ever prayed that way? I'm praying and I'm saying to God, God, if this is your will, you need to do this, 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 and this. And if you do it exactly the way I ask you to do it, then I know it's your will. And it doesn't happen. And I know sometimes, certainly God answers our prayer, but when we have things ordered a certain way, when we have our own value system, when we have a sense of this is the way God is needs to operate in my life, then we can miss out on what he wants to do. We miss the hour of our visitation. We miss out on the blessing. Rather than say, Lord, you know what? I don't know how you're going to do it. And I certainly am not going to tell you how to do it. Because if we need to give counsel and advice to God, what do you think? Okay? Do we not set ourselves above God at that point and make ourselves God? We are king of kings and Lord of lords. And he serves us. Bow to me, Elohim, God Almighty. Self-will. If there's self-will, we're talking about being whole, whole, healed, full of joy, full of peace, loving people, not being offended, not being angry, not carrying the weight of, of all of this stuff. That but, And what do we do? The first step, the very foundation to freedom is we have to crucify self-will. It's a number one thing: Jesus lived for the will of his Father, not himself, right? So many times, we read that Jesus speaks about how He came. you know, in John 6:38, he said, "The Son came from heaven to earth, not to do his will, but to do the will of the one who sent him, the one who sent." What is that? I live." For the will of my Father. I have no plan. I have no will. I have no desire other than to follow His plan, to follow His leading. And we sometimes, you know, we we talk about, well, you know, I have a five-year plan and I have a 10-year plan and, and I get that. And I'm not saying we shouldn't plan things out, but there has to be a sense in which ultimately, even when we plan things, we are... We are submissive enough for God to make mid-course corrections, to intervene in our lives, to disrupt our plans, and to mess up our plans. I wrote an article that was published in in several well-known Christian magazines called Three Ways God Disrupts Our Plans. And I had so many people contact me saying, oh my gosh, that is so what I'm going through right now. I was going this way. I have my expectations, my plans. I was headed in this direction, and ah, like, God totally messed up my plans. You know why God messes up our plans? To sort out our plans so that we can come into alignment with his plans. Because our ways are not his ways. Wow. Think of Simon the sorcerer, you know? <laughs> Here's Philip, he's healing the sick and he's praying and miracles are happening and he's there and he's witnessing the whole thing. Then then the apostles show up and they pray for the believers and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, this guy, Simon the sorcerer, he marvels when he sees what is happening when the apostles lay their hands on people and he offers them money to buy this power. Verse 19 of Acts 8, let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said, oh, you're a little bit misguided. Let me help you out here. Let me show you, no, no, you 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 might not really be understanding exactly how this whole thing works, right? Is that what Peter said? No, Peter said, may your money be destroyed with you. Or thinking that God's gift can be bought. May your money be destroyed with you. Woo! May God send you and your money to hell. It's what he was saying, guys. Seeker sensitive preaching, right? And then listen to this. You can have no part in this. You can have no part in this. Why? For your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts. Verse 23, for, listen to this. For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy. I can see that you're full of bitter jealousy and you're held captive by sin. In other words, you want the gift for you. It's all about self-promotion. It's all about you. Hey, everybody, look at me. You know what? And it's so subtle at times, right? People who post things on Facebook because they're looking for, um, affirmation. They're looking to, for people to encourage them to speak life. The pictures that we put on, the things we do, then we're checking how many people have liked it. I had, I got to a point, You know, I have like almost a hundred thousand people that follow me on Facebook. And I can tell you this, that I got to a point where if I posted something and I didn't have a hundred people like it, I was like, what is going on here? And I'm like, and then I realized it was the, it was the logarithms and the analytics of Facebook. I mean, I used to get like hundreds of likes and, and then I realized that they change things around so that people don't view your posts as much anymore. And I'm looking at all this, and, I'm, and then and then I realized, oh my gosh, it was feeding my self-worth. I mean, not that I was like, if somebody said something, that was it, I'm done, I want to jump off a bridge. Not that. I'm just saying that there was a sense in which, hey, the more people that like my posts, hey, man, that was a good. that's good. That's a good post, right? And... And then I realized, you know, what, what is driving me? What is, what is in me that requires that? Right? I mean, I'm not secure. I'm, I'm, I'm not in a place where my, know my identity and my security is in Him. And, and so there's something in me that's crying out for, for self-recognition, for, for attention and, and, and all of this stuff and, And and God's saying, you've got to get rid of this in your life. You've got to become so secure in who you are in me. doesn't matter what people think of you, say about you. Woe when all men speak well of you. For so they did of the false prophets, Jesus said. Woe when everyone loves your Facebook posts. God says, I prophesy. This time next month, you're going to be rich, famous, and blah, blah, blah. And everybody... Oh, amen, man of God, I received that. And there's no call to repentance. There's no call. And they prophesy, February is the month this, this, and this is going to happen. And everybody just so deceived, it's amen, it's going to happen. But there's nothing changing in their life because every prophetic promise is dependent upon our obedience, our submission, and our surrender to God. If we're not obedient to the word of the Lord, then we will not be blessed So maybe some people will experience that next month. Maybe God will do those things, but it's not applicable to everyone because not everyone is in that place in their growth with God and God's timing. There's so many variable factors here, but certainly not everyone is even in a place where they fully surrender to God or that to that place or that degree where God wants to give them all of these blessings and do all of these things because God is more concerned about developing our character and conformity us to the image and nature of Jesus Christ he's more concerned about the process than he is the prize and ultimately all of what God wants to do and give to us will come to pass but it's to those who are submitted to those who are learning obedience even the son Hebrews 5 7 had to learn obedience by the things he suffered even the son had to learn obedience wow So what is the antithesis of self-will? Well, going back to James chapter 3 verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Come on, anybody wise and understanding in the house this morning? Come on. Right? Wisdom, guys, is just, it's based out of humility. Look at it says, listen to this. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness or the humility of wisdom. Okay? So it's humility, it's meekness. Wow, it's an amazing thing. The word translated meekness in the Greek language, praos, means strength under control. It's used to describe a horse that has been broken and trained for bit and bridle. Psalm 32, 8 and 9, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. Wow, isn't that good? God is so good. I wanna I'm gonna guide you and along the best pathway for your life. Wow. I will advise you and watch over you. Some translations says literally it says in the Hebrew, I'm gonna guide you with my eye. My eye is gonna be upon you. I'm looking, I'm watching. I'm, I'm going ahead of you. I'm making sure the path is cleared. I'm, I'm making sure that I'm your rear guard. I'm your side guard. I'm your front guard. I'm, I'm going ahead of you. I'm leading you. I'm not only your navigator, but I'm I'm defending you. I'm protecting you, and I'm making sure that you walk into the destiny that I have for you. And I'm going to be the one who shows you how to get there. You're not going to design it. You're just going to follow me because my word is a is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your pathway. And you walk in the darkness and you don't know which way to go, you don't know which way the path is going to bend. You don't know if you're going to go up a hill or down a hill, but all you have is a lamp. That lamp just shines a few feet in front of you, but you keep following the lamp and you keep going. Even though you don't know what lays ahead, God says, I'm going to guide you and I'm going to lead you and I'm going to bring you into that place of blessing because I know what is best, the best pathway for your life. Then he cautions us. Don't be like a senseless horse or mule. Uh oh. That needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Look at the Passion Translation. I hear the Lord saying, I will stay close to you, instructing and guiding you along the pathway for your life. I will advise you along the way and lead you forth with my eyes as your guide. So don't make it difficult. Don't be stubborn when I take you where you've not been before. Don't make me tug you and pull you along. Just come with me. Wow. A broken horse. A horse that has been broken. (laughs) In North America... Of course, we have many First Nations peoples, and there's a tribe called the Lakota Sioux. They're based in the Dakota areas, and the Lakota Sioux have mastered how to ride horses bareback—no bit, no bridle. They jump on a horse; horse will go ever they want. The horse to go, do whatever they want the horse to do. The horse is broken been broken it's compliant it's submitted to the will of the rider and the way the Lakota Sioux break a horse is they take it into the water into a lake and they'll take it initially maybe up to the knees horse box the horse protests they'll take the horse in further further And then eventually they will take the horse literally up to its neck in the water. And it's in that place that the horse is finally broken. The horse trusts the rider. You're not taking me into these deep waters to kill me. (laughs) Right? Sometimes you say, hey, God, man, you're taking me into these deep, deep waters. When you pass through the waters, you will not drown. When you go through the fires, you will not be destroyed. You see, God is saying, I'm going to take you into these deep places at times because I'm trying to get you to the point where you surrender, where you let go, where you say, okay, God, your way, your will, your plans, what you desire. The Greek army had an amazing process in the days of Christ in which they would select horses to train them to make them useful for their army they would intentionally search for horses in the mountains and select the most wild and spirited horses they would take these to a camp and then they had a process where they would these horses would be broken in after several months and so what happened was finally after months of training they they sorted and allocated the horses they assigned them to to one of four categories, and it was all dependent upon how submissive these horses were, how broken they were. In other words, there were some that just would not be broken, and so these horses were were discarded. They were of no use. Some were broken just enough that hey, yeah, we can use these to you know transport things. These can carry burdens. There was a third group of horses that were selected for ordinary duty. They were good. They were, they were faithful. But then ultimately, there were just a few that were so submissive, so broken, so yielded to the rider that these ones were called war horses. These ones were the ones that would be taken into battle. They're still strong. They're passionate. However, Their nature was under discipline. They were no longer unruly and rebellious. A war horse was broken to the point that its nature was under control and was completely submitted to its master. They'd thunder into battle. They'd stand unflinchingly in the face of fire. Yet, they would still respond to the slightest touch of the rider and stomp at a whisper. Such horses who had come to that place of, of being broken, were designated as praos in Greek, which means meek, the word meek. It's not weakness, it's meekness. It's strength under control. It's strength because God says, those who know their God shall be strong. They will do great exploits. It's strength that's under control. It's strength that has been harnessed and useful to the Father. As Christians, we're called to live in meekness. In fact, meekness is a fruit of the Spirit. Did you know that? Isn't it interesting that we, you know, we we talk about people being strong-willed and ornery like, like that's a good thing at times? It's not a good thing and she's so strong-willed so independent and you know what i get that people need to be strong and not fold under pressure and not be allow themselves to be manipulated by people i understand that but when it comes to the lord oh lord i'm your servant whatever you want i'm listening you want to change my plans hey they i thought they were your plans but God, that's okay. You know, I, I, I'll admit it. There are times when I get it wrong. There are times when I thought it was you or where well, there's just things I just don't understand at times. And it's like, but I still trust you. I'm still yielding to you. And, and I know that you, you have things in control. First Peter four verses one and two in the message. Since Jesus went through everything you're going through, And more. How many know that Jesus, when He was on the earth, He went through everything that we have gone through, we are going through, and even more, right? And learn to think like Him. Think like Him. Okay. Think of your sufferings as a weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. Then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. Wow. I know the pathway that's best for you. I have plans for you, not to harm you, to give you hope, to give you future. I know what is good for you. The Father loves us so much, He desires to lead us along the best pathway for our lives. But our dependence and submission to Him determines our usefulness in His kingdom, just like the war horse. Are we those horses that we just want to allow God to break us are we those horses well you know we're a bit compliant there's still areas in which we're resistant to him or maybe yeah I'm doing a pretty good job or are we going to go all the way and just surrender all to Jesus Christ surrender all to Jesus Christ are we going to go all the way and surrender all to Jesus Christ you see listen to this I'm going to close with this resistance leads to rebellion And rebellion eventually to regression and ruin. Regression and ruin. Resistance leads to rebellion. And rebellion to regression and ruin. Wow. God wants to bless us. How many believe that? How many know that he's a good father? He's got amazing plans for you. He says, before you even call on me, I'm going to answer you. Why? Because he sees the heart. He sees that the man, the woman who's fully yielded. You know, I love to. Chronicles sixteen nine. the eyes of the Lord scan through and, you know, back and forth to and fro the earth. And when he finds a person whose heart is completely yielded to him, it says, I'll show my power to that person.